0: You're listening to.
1: Whoa! Hot luck. Hot
2: luck. And hey, everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is, let's say, Friday, June the 25th. June the 25th, 2021. My name is Mario Vernia, and joining me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets through our days, we have self proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Jude. What up? And also professional culture editor Han Win. Hey, Han. Hello. Hey. So, which one of us wants to say grace for this <laughs> podcast session?
0: Oh, that was really good, Marvin. <laughs> I like believed you for like a little bit. That was really good.
2: <laughs> no one, no one's going to say grace.
0: <laughs> well, what's, uh, we don't have food in front of us. It's uh, supposed yeah. to be the first person who reaches true. for the food. You can have
2: any corona as long as it's. Wait, you can, you have, can you have, have any, any beer, corona beer. as long as, as it's, long it's corona. It's corona. Remember the good old days back when the Fast and the Furious movies... I say this even though we just watched it like the last month. Remember the good old days back when it was an actual like believable grounded crime film?
0: I mean, let us not forget. It starts because they're stealing VCR players from trucks.
2: And then now we have... Whatever the hell F nine international
0: spirings <laughs> and um some kind of the MacGuffin of the movie what what the, what was this MacGuffin called
2: I don't even the remember weird
0: orb thing I don't even remember yeah. it was the MacGuffin uh, yes
2: Project Ares
1: oh, Project Ares Project Ares
2: the God of War right in case you are confused uh, this episode we're talking about the brand new long awaited. Next installment of the Fast and Furious franchise, simply named F9, that's coming out, I guess, today. Uh, but Han, Jess, and I went to go watch an advanced screening of it two weeks ago at this point, two and a half weeks ago. <laughs> God, And we have been sitting on our hands, waiting to talk about this film. So uh, we're going to have a great conversation about it after the break. But uh, before we get to the um, wacky hijinks of our crime crew... Let's find out what pop culture is beginning through this week. Uh, Let's start with Jess. What's popping?
0: So I watched the new Pixar Disney feature film that was released exclusively on Disney Plus, Luca. And it is very cute. I describe it as 50% Little Mermaid, 25% uh, like Studio Ghibli. And then 25% like, call me by your name. Um, You know, minus the weird connotations now with the army Hammer cannibal stuff. Um, But like, it's good vibes. It really makes me want to go to Italy. I made pasta with pesto right after this. Um, It's, it's, I will say it's a little bit more low key than a typical Pixar movie. I understand why they put it on Disney Plus. Things kind of happen, but not. um, And yeah, it's just a very lovely kind of movie to put on the... It's It doesn't raise your blood pressure too high. Um, you know things are going to work out at the end. It's very cute. And, you know, beautiful soundtrack. Beautiful soundtrack. It makes you want to go to Italy, and which we cannot right now, unfortunately, and just go, like, have some kind of queer-coded romance, coming-of-age youth love story.
2: <laughs> yeah, I... <sighs> How Pixar is it? Because when I first saw the trailer, it reminded me more of like a, maybe like a mainline Disney movie or a DreamWorks animated film, like kind of more pop culture. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think it's really, you know, Pixar's faults are that they basically set themselves up to be like the premier ground pushing animated film studio of the last 20 years. And then when you don't completely change and push the barriers of what animated film can be, (laughs) it's kind of like a dud, right? Um, so in that sense, yeah, it's a little bit of a dud. It does not like reframe or push with the traditional the tradition of computer animated films very much. Um, but also considering that their last movie was basically a movie not for children, <laughs> right? It was about a middle aged man going through a midlife crisis and existential crisis. You know, it is a little nice to see them kind of return to something more sweet, a little more simple. Um, you know, it's focusing on the trio of kids. It, it will say the portrayal of abandonment issues and family was real intense. <laughs> and I'm kind of just hoping that they make a sequel like 10 years from now, kind of like a before sunrise, after sunset kind of vibe, like old lovers reconnecting. Okay, so they don't like, the, the two main characters are two boys. They don't explicitly like, have a romance in this film, a hundred percent queer coded. Like it's there. That's why there's a lot of comparisons of Call Me by Your Name. Shout out to the New York Times article with the headline "Calamari by Your Name." Fantastic. <laughs> worth it. Just this movie is worth it just for that headline. And so it is just this very sweet kind of. It's like this weird mix of like sweet, bittersweet, lingering like nostalgia, but with that pixar shine over it it's very sweet sounds cool uh yeah so check it out you know it's, it's f- on disney, plus, disney plus it's free yeah don't gotta pay anymore it, you don't have to pay it's not a premiere access it's just available on disney plus oh that's good awesome. very cute make yourself a plate of pasta and maybe <laughs> some calamari on the side oh and- god <laughs>
2: and- <laughs> and yeah all right. How what's popping with you
1: so the opposite of what uh, <laughs> Jess hey, was that's watching. That's my job. What are you talking Why are you taking, well, why are you
2: taking my my vibe it, away from me?
1: In a, in a different way. It's not depressing, but there is no subtext at all. It is all <laughs> context. It is right there. Like text, it's text on the screen um, and sex on the screen. Um, what I'm talking about is a new show that will be out by the time you listen to this. Uh, it comes out Friday. Called Sex Slash Life or Sex Life. Hmm. Um, basically, it is. It's not great, but people are gonna watch it, and it is entertaining. Uh, it's basically a housewife named Billy. She's play, play, played by Sarah Shahi. Um, kind of oh. is a little bit bored with her, you know, perfect marriage out in Connecticut with a huge ass house. Um, she has a young son. She's married to Mike Vogel. um, Oh, hey. (laughs) uh, Yeah, we'll talk about him in a minute. And then, um, and she has a new baby. So she's been journaling on her computer. And um, the most recent thing is she's been kind of journaling about is before she met Mike Vogel's character, whose name is Cooper. She had dated a guy named Brad. And Brad was this Aussie tall dude who was a record producer and apparently the best, best sex of her life. Um, and so she's been kind of missing that because, you know, she's she's tired all the time and has this baby and she's taking care of the baby. And the husband's been doing, you know, Mike Vogel's been off doing his work thing and he gets home. He just wants to watch the game. So sex hasn't been really happening between them. Um, So she writes this in her journal and all of a sudden, like the next day he reads it and he's just like, who the fuck are you? And then he like takes her over the counter. So, um, The deal is it goes back and forth and back and forth between the present with her and her husband and her flashbacks of her relationship with this Brad dude. Now, Brad is still sort of in her life because like he's still in New York over there and her best friend happens to be in his circles because she's in the music community. So, of course, at some point there's going to be an overlap. Um, And I'm only on episode four, but I have to tell you, there's full frontal male nudity in episode three. Um, not a spoiler, I don't think. Just look forward to what? it. What? Oh. It's, it's it's uh it's it's important to the plot, I guess. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yes, Hod. important <laughs> to the plot. Wink. But the weird thing is this. Okay, so I have a few discussions of this. Like my, in some ways, it is very sexist and very basic. And the things that like this character is so upset about, and like she got herself into this mess, but. She, it's, you know, but it's also, of course, you know, about like embracing your sexuality and things like that. But her, like this guy, Brad, was so problematic in so many ways. But when we're talking about the sex, part of it is female gaze, which is, I guess, maybe why we see Dick. I don't know. Um, and then, but part of it also is like, by the time I'm in episode four, there's eight episodes, I'm like a little bit bored with the sex because it's like the same stuff all the time. And it's also not a lot of like buildup. So, um, and I don't mean you have to show the uh, the foreplay on screen, but you got to give us like mental foreplay as we're watching, you know, like something. So it's, I, I'm not like wincing. Anyway, so I, there's a lot of, <laughs> they call it a comedy drama. I don't think it's meant to be a comedy, but I definitely laughed at a lot of places. Um, there's some awkwardness. I uh, We do see, so Mike Vogel, I have to say, Still very fit. Like the, we see him, oh, hoo, hoo. we yes. see him naked, and Vogue. I do have to say his butt is better than the other guy's butt.
0: <laughs> Damn, so, um,
1: yeah. You go, Mike Vogel, he, and he's tan like from top to bottom. Marvin, Just... do you know who Mike Vogel is?
2: No, I don't.
0: He is the Bri- Bridget, aka Blake Lively's love interest from Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Never seen that film. <laughs> Get cultured, Marvin.
2: <laughs> I'm not. Was, I feel like so. What I get from all these conversations with you and Jess about all these like hot romance series is that they need someone like or Jess to be on their team of uh, consultants to tell them how to approach a romance scene. Because, you know, even we had this conversation back when we talked about Bridgerton and you both were like, we're not impressed with these supposedly steamy love scenes.
0: Yeah. All you have to do. And what I would do is just show them season one
1: of Outlander. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they That's did that perfectly sh- <laughs> i mean there are even other like seasons but yeah they they had some hot shit oh my god the wedding show. night scene yeah oh. yeah <laughs> and and bridgerton i really expected better um yeah. uh, because i know that they're still shondaland and so maybe they're like oh we can just do wham bam no <laughs> um we expect something with our uh corsets and um <laughs> And uh, buns and all that type of stuff. You need to, like, deliver the romance, too. Um, sex life, I didn't necessarily expect it, but I ex- at least wanted it to be hot. And if, if I'm really like, oh, God, he's fingering her again? Like, that's... Seriously, <laughs> seriously you are going to have that reaction. Um, and, <laughs> and it's like, after a while, like... Also, like, when I talk about comedy at times, at one point, Mike Vogel... Like buys her a dress so they can have a night out, and the dress is so ugly. Oh and, no! And but I'm I feel laughing. like that's like the most accurate thing. It's so <laughs> ugly. It's like a child designed it because there's like twenty too many things on it. Um, but then like when I was thinking about it, I'm like, compared to the scene that came right before it, where she's wearing a something that looks like a breast pump bustier, that's hotter. So <laughs> that's why I was like, is maybe they do know it's a comedy, but I don't know. Anyway, everyone's gonna be watching it. I assume because there's sex and there's actually sex on screen. It's sex in the title. Um, they're actually good-looking people, but I have to say they're all white except Sarah Shahi is Persian, although she codes as white-passing. Her friend, her best friend, of course, is a sassy black woman. You know, occasionally we see a sex interest who, in the past, who was a different color. But yeah, the main people are all white. Hmm. So. Yeah, I have some problems with it. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm in it for the long haul. I got to see where this ends, (laughs) um, because it's going to be part of the cultural conversation. And we can talk all about how bad sex is on the screen. Yeah, (laughs) that's a recommendation. Sure. (laughs) All right, Marvin, how about you? (laughs) Is yours similar?
2: (laughs) <laughs> um, no, we're going back to the anime corner for my segment.
1: <laughs> they can be very
0: sexy too.
2: They could be. They um, not the one I'm else. watching though. So the spring 2021 anime season is coming to a close. Um, so I want to take the opportunity to once again plug the series that I've been really into called 86. Uh, I have mentioned it before that it's a mecha um, series taking place in a country that has interned and conscripted its minorities to fight in a robot apocalypse. And while it's not subtle at all in its allusions to racism, it does tell a surprisingly nuanced story about the personal effects of living in and under an oppressive society. So um, the first half of the season just finished um, this past week. Um, The next half is going to premiere in fall or winter, Um, but it follows the arc of the main character named Lena, who is the commander of one of these conscripted units, uh, who starts out as with kind of a white savior complex, thinking that if she's just nice and treats her soldiers with respect, that she can mend the rift between them. And what follows throughout the next 11 episodes is that mindset being broken down and challenged as she realizes how institutionalized the racism really is and how she plays into it. And the climax comes when she realizes that uh, she can't even begin to address everything unless she puts her own privilege on the line um, politically, economically, and physically. So it's like kind of a slow into her getting, getting that mindset. And it's really great. There's a lot of great action scenes, too. It is a mecca. a lot of great robot battles, a lot of really great interpersonal moments in writing. Um, the first half of the season and the last weekend, like I mentioned. And so it's it's actually a great time to binge it. If anything I said interests you, um, you can watch all 11 episodes now with a Crunchyroll trial. And I mean, in addition to the story, it's also beautiful to look at. Like the direction, animation, storyboarding is top-notch. Um, there's rarely a waste of frame. And I mean, the backgrounds I can compare to probably like Ghibli level of just beautiful landscapes and scenery. So um definitely a great um artistic piece as well. Um so the thing with um watching this series and honestly having no one to engage with um in you know my professional Asian cohort because as you can notice Jess and Han aren't that interested in anime. Um I was
0: once addicted. I got out of that life. Stop trying yes. to pull me in <laughs> Ditto. Yeah. So
2: much like Jess has, you know, dipped into the world of the youth in TikTok, I have joined a, a Discord group to talk about this. Oh my God. Um, this um, series with uh, my fellow fans. And let me tell you, it's been a lot of fun to be swapping theories, analysis, but I've also never felt older. I feel like I have a tab <laughs> open at all times with Urban Dictionary loaded up. Um, so I no. can like, cross-reference what certain slang or internet speak means. Um, <laughs> but that does bring me back to like the, those old... And I don't know, maybe this is too old for you, Jess, but the old message board days, where you would go on like forums and just like exchange theories with like randos, that like you start to build online friendships with. Sounds a
0: little sketch, but (laughs) I'm happy for you, Marvin.
2: Yeah, and it's been pretty cool so far. Um, The at the moment, the eighty six fandom is pretty chill and not at all toxic. Uh, We'll see how it goes, even when this series starts gaining more popularity. If more people come in and start, you know, fucking things up. But right now, um, things are pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of been my adventure into um, youth culture, I guess. And, and also my my anime corner. Um, but that brings us to our last segment of What's popping, which is our weekly Go Asian segment, where we're currently following season 18 of Top Chef. This past week was episode 12, which was the cheese episode. And sad news, we lost another Asian.
0: But, but It's okay because we got the one we like more <laughs> and more. he did it and he killed it.
2: Yeah, Jess, you were really worried last I week about so the cheese. I was so worried. Challenge.
0: Okay, yeah, because it's just like, yeah, make make a dish with like a bunch of cheddar cheese, not even, like any specific cheese, like cheddar cheese and like five make, ways. Use it five ways. That's really freaking hard. Like, that's a hard ass challenge. And uh, I mean, you could tell everyone was kind of like, I mean, they weren't struggling, but they were definitely like, what the hell, like, do we do? Um, and honestly like I was a little shook when the Tillamook man was like the only difference between white and yellow cheddar is the dye we put in I was like yeah. I feel like very lied to like <laughs> why would you show that on TV Tillamook why did you approve that like that's not good for your brand Um, but yeah Lil Shota <laughs> did real good Um, he killed it was able to success because w- with that cut I'm like Shota either going to be like
2: the winner or he's going to be out well, because like cheese isn't a staple of Japanese cuisine, neither is strong flavors, which cheese is associated with. So we were all reasonably worried about his chances, but at the same time, I had faith in his technique because Shoda is probably the strongest conceptual chef left in the the running right now.
0: I'm also just like, how can you even eat that? Like, how can you eat your own dish? Do they give them lactate to eat? I hey, would just not be all like,
2: Asians are lactose intolerant. Okay, he
0: probably is. You don't <laughs> think Shoda is
1: lactose intolerant? Come on now.
2: But man, that cheese, mind you, looked real good.
1: Yeah. Well, as soon as he said, I'm going to make a dashi out of cheese, I was like, okay, dude, like, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, you clearly need to get this right. Cause I was just like, how in hell do you get that to taste right and not just like a bunch of oil? Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> what, do, would that even taste good? I'm just, I'm just trying to envision like, is there actual like bonito in there or like, which
1: is fish and cheese, mm-hmm. which typically yeah. does not work I'm just like we can talk about fish and cheese Han, yeah, Han
2: has issues with that narrative <laughs> as well but before we get to yeah. Jamie's dish um, if anyone could pull it off I knew it was Shoda because um, at this point in competition late game all the chefs are at the highest level right um, they're all chefs that can conceptualize and execute at like complex levels um, so it really comes down to who has the best like not only who has the best technique but who has the best concept and I think as a Japanese chef, like Shoda, you know, Japanese cooking is all, all about delicate flavors, right? So if anyone can like kind of thread that needle, I feel like Shoda would have been the guy.
0: Well, well, to quote Marvin, to quote you back to yourself, you are always the one who's like analytically like, oh, top chef is like three faces. The first is <laughs> just like you knock out all the people who can't technically compete. Then it's about like conception. And then it's about like voice. So we are definitely at the point of the competition. I mean, it's the fi- final this week. um, This Thursday, we're going to, you know, it's about voice. Like, who has a point of view in their food? Not even just conceiving, putting together dishes, but who has, like, that next step. And, like, yeah, I mean, I think all three chefs are pretty, they are pretty good at that. Obviously, Dawn keeps forgetting things, which may be her downfall. I think she's also just probably going through a lot. Yeah, Um, you know,
2: before we get to the final three, let's talk about because what you bring up is exactly the reason why Jamie couldn't make it through this week Because her her conceptualization, like experience, let's say, is not at the level of the other three chefs. Right. She she has great ideas, but she doesn't know how to put it together. And that's her, her issue.
1: It's not even that she has great ideas. I think she has an idea and she I think she's a decent chef, but I think that's not next level. And so Faced with like this concept of five cheeses, she just didn't really think about all the ways that it could cohere with her main ingredient. Yeah. And Um,
2: I mean, I know the judges her on her combination between fish and cheese, but I I was wondering the whole time what's wrong with that.
1: Yeah. So I have many opinions and thoughts about fish and cheese. Um, (laughs) uh, they, They were giving her grief and they said it like as if it were true that fish and cheese never goes together. Seafood and cheese never goes together. Um, but like literally maybe three years ago on Top Chef, someone did fish and cheese and they're like, I usually hate fish and cheese, but I love it. And that was Padma. And Tom Kaliko's yeah, like, yeah, you got me. Because they had like a smoked like trout and then a, a, a salty cheese. And now that sounds amazing. So um, the deal is, I immediately, because I have once been shamed for have, wanting cheese on my seafood at an Italian restaurant and the guy would not grate it on there or he did it very reluctantly and like tried to really shame me for about it. So I looked it up and I've been looking this up like every year because it always comes up. And, you know, there is a huge prohibition on seafood and cheese, but it's only in theory. Um, Italians really hate seafood and cheese. And so I think they kind of have like, made that a thing where everyone knows supposedly that it's wrong but if you actually look at it there are fish fish and cheese pairings in other places that are really good
2: i mean in asian pizza huts we literally have a seafood pizza
1: yeah i mean there's a clam pizza that's known here in america uh lobster mac and cheese um in in france there's i mean like france is the place of cheese so they definitely have stuff but like not necessarily that much in America, except for the mac and cheese that I mentioned, but also, hey, filet o fish. <laughs> do love a filet fish. Yeah. I was thinking about filet o
0: fish, but I mean, I, I think we're talking about fine dining food, like, because usually the fine dining fish is like very delicate. And I can see how, like, cheese and fish specifically, not shellfish, like, right. very specifically fish. Um, so it's like if you're not going to like fry the shit out of that so it can like stand up to the cheese is like <laughs>
2: that's true I think, I think there are I mean, stronger
1: it, fish yeah it comes down to what do. we
2: were talking about right like she might have had a right idea like if she would have nailed a fish and cheese dish it would have like killed it with the judges but she just didn't have the the skill set to pull it off
1: yeah right? yeah She she's a perfectly fine chef I'm sure anything she makes I would enjoy but she she's not that like She doesn't know how to break the rules the right way. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I would agree.
2: Which leaves us with one final Asian against Dawn and Gabe going into the, I guess, the semifinals next week.
0: I don't know if they're planning on doing just like a two-way showdown for the finale or
2: like there's one more elimination round. Well, Usually they bring one person back from Last Chance Kitchen. Yeah. Right.
1: On my DVR, I see two more episodes. So. Okay. Okay, great. We get
0: to
2: extend that a
0: little longer. <laughs> so, I'd be happy with anyone but Gabe winning.
2: <laughs> well, needless to say, we are rooting for one person in particular <laughs> um, to make it through. So we'll see. We'll see if Go Asian goes all the way, or do we stop next episode? Uh, you knows? know what? Here's my
1: theory. My theory is he went all the way, and that's why he's so great on Instagram because he 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 can be happy about the whole process, <laughs> or at least he makes it to the final.
2: Yeah, we'll see. All right, that'll do it for this week's What's Poppin'. When we come back. It's all about the need for speed.
0: No. <laughs> wrong film, <laughs> wrong movie, Marvin. When we
2: come back, it's, it's all about, about the family.
0: the familia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Stick around.
0: Mm, but we're still here.
2: a play that explores the lost we're Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, of Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast
0: app.
2: We Alright, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club um, this episode we're talking about F9, the latest entry in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, it's coming out today, um, June the twenty fifth. It is an American action film directed by Justin Lin who also co-wrote the screenplay with Daniel Casey. Um, It's the first film since Fast and the Furious 6 to be directed by Lynn and the first since Too Fast, Too Furious to not be written by Chris Morgan. Um, F9 stars all your favorite Fast crew, um, Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, Jordana Brewster, Natalie Emanuel, Helen Mirren, Kurt Russell, Charlie Starron, and also adding to the mix, John Cena and Michael Rooker. Um, and returning um, to his rightful place in the Fast Crime Crew, um, Mr. Sung Kang. The film follows um, Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto, who has settled down in like some sort of farm countryside <laughs> with Michelle Rodriguez's Letty um, to live with his family out of the game. Until Kurt Russell's Mr. Nobody's plane gets shot down and has a, a MacGuffin stolen from it. And he gets pulled back because the perpetrator of said heist is none other than his long-lost brother Jacob, played by John Cena.
0: Who so happens to be some kind of international super spy? Just putting that out there.
2: <laughs> Guys, what what happened to this film franchise? <laughs> I mean, we I mean, okay, so this is the logical conclusion of the arc started from the last entry when um the international cyber terrorist cypher played by Troy Theron, enters the picture and turns this um film into like an international super spy film but i don't I, I don't even know where to start i guess we'll start with general impressions so the way we'll go about this discussion is we'll start with our spoiler-free impressions and then move into a more spoiler-filled talk for those of you who've already seen the film and you just get stuff off your chest because holy shit there's a lot of things that we need to get off our chest about this film um so let's start with general impressions like what did y'all think of f9
0: look i had a good time okay (laughs) it was my first movie in a theater in like 18 months i had my popcorn i was watching with friends it was an imax screen um can i say this movie was good i don't know (laughs) probably not can i say i had a fucking good ass time yes a hundred percent Um. And I'm very interested to see, because Justin Lin is doing the last three. This is the last, like, sub-trilogy within this mega-series, 9, 10, 11. They say they're going to end this crew, like the story of Dominic Toretto, after 11. So I am hoping they have a plan, larger plan. Obviously, they brought back Charlize Theron, you know. There's some really fun cameos. There's some very great scenes i just don't know if it really gets to the same set piece level as some of the older films. wait which wait, is... wait wait
2: wait wait okay. <laughs> not to like give away what the set pieces are in this film but are you sure you want to
0: set pieces <laughs> well some of those set pieces were in story i think i think that they're trying to make the set pieces more in the story and ramping up the story like the story like stakes instead of some of the action stakes
1: <laughs> no i agree as far as what's exciting for us to watch is different from what is just crazy in theory and narrative so
0: yes so before i feel like the narratives were all very very simple and then they would just you know insert them into very insane action set pieces and now it seems a little bit more of the reverse where after so many you know (laughs) or the well again no spoilers but like that final set piece where like it's an insane idea but in reality like the action is not very actiony
2: so this is my feeling when i was watching this film this is the feeling i had watching this entire series as we then watched one through eight over the past few months but especially in this film it felt like the kind of story like my eight-year-old nephew would tell me about what he's playing with his action figures like and then this happens and then this happens and then they go here. And it just felt like I don't know how much of this is Justin Lin's writing, but like he's got to be in on it. Right. Like he's got to be like just... oh,
0: the whole team is in on it. I mean, I think and maybe I think there are some times where this film in particular goes a little too heavy handed on the meta commentary. Flass has always done that. Um, you know, starting with maybe like five, four, or five when things were ramping up into like ridiculous nature. um, but I did feel there are some parts where it was like two because it was like it was a very significant running joke within this film, and I was just like, we get it. you can't die, you're <laughs> yeah. invincible I,
1: yeah i I kind of agree. I had a fantastic time. I think it helped that we have watched all of the films together and discussed it. And so when we were watching this one together, it just felt like a continuation of the family that we have created watching this. Mm, But, mm, um, yeah, and so that was great. And I, I highly recommend if anyone's going to watch this to understand that it's going to be like some crazy ass shit on the screen and hopefully you share it with people. And that's really as much as you should hope from it. But it is chaotic. It is an Mm -hmm. episodic list of, of stuff like when I was looking through my notes which are mainly illegible because try writing in a dark theater um it's mainly like oh this this car nonsense and the next thing is like oh this the ship nonsense oh okay well this truck (laughs) nonsense so I use the word nonsense in so many regards and it really does you know actually work (laughs) because it's like everything is literally nonsense but as long as you are expecting that you can kind of let it go and just like yeah you can take a rest and like lean back and not think about stuff yes Um, so so the way i put it
0: the analogy i use is like the fast and the furious movies to me is like like fair food like carnival food like i go because i specifically want carnival food (laughs) is carnival food good not really but is it like is it too much of everything is it too fried is it too sweet is it too big is it too buttery is it too sugary like yeah but that's what you came to get and that's the only thing that's gonna hit the spot and that's really how i feel about fast nine like i want that from a fast i want to be like that's fucking ridiculous like what the fuck i want to be saying like like I want those set pieces. I want this ridiculous. I want I want an unknown brother I've never known about before. <laughs> you know, like and and that you the want thing. those like,
2: moments of just silent brooding men staring at each other.
0: Oh, it's so homoerotic. Are I feel right? like if I don't come out of a Fast and the Furious movie going, what the fuck just happened? I, they didn't do their job.
2: I was just so I was thinking about how this film, this film franchise about supposedly about speedy cars, is now about. Buff masculine men staring at each other and like talking like this.
1: <laughs> I mean, it hasn't it always also? <laughs> um, yeah, I I think here's the thing. Um, would I have liked a maybe more logical narrative and and things like that? Like I I think the pinnacle of the fast franchise of the craziness that I still kind of enjoyed was probably seven. Um, which uh actually gave me a little bit of like feels too but maybe it's because it was also paul workers you know uh last one but I, I i still you know stand by five being the best one because the story felt even though it was a, only slightly ridiculous like it still felt like i could
2: follow it <laughs> it was at a scale that i could believe this yes. like crew of former like street racing thugs could like Pull
1: pull off. I mean, (laughs) and the other problem, of course, is that they've stuffed the franchise by now with too many people. Like every single movie, they've added more people. And so now they're trying to tell those stories of that many people. So definitely some people are getting short shrift. Um, And then other ones are just like, you know, like they did pump up, you know, the women's stories slightly. Like Mia got to do something and it made sense. And she wasn't just like suddenly driving a car or just... You know, suddenly doing something that she's never done before. They they made it make sense. I very very much appreciated that she had a bigger role in this. We got to see Ramsey do more. Um, so like they gave them a little bit more in here, but it also meant like they're that a few other characters I felt like a bit more caricaturey. They yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: Also, like in terms of time, like did we need that <laughs> section with the Helen Mirren? No, but you have Helen Mirren in the ser- in the franchise. Why not give her, like, one scene? You know, shoot one or two days. Like, but then, you know, that's that just added, like, a five-minute scene we
2: didn't need. Speaking of the Hail Mary thing, didn't we need that scene with Cardi B as well?
0: Exactly. Well, <laughs> she did the theme song. So that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of, like, cameo, fun cameo, horizontal integration things that, you know, Universal has got going on. Um, But I I also think at this point, they're running out of visual tricks to do i don't think they know what to do anymore
1: yeah well i'm just hoping that because 10 and uh 10 is supposed to be the finale but they're like it's too big so we're gonna make a two-parter so it's 10 (laughs) and 11 are the finales i was hoping that because they're saving certain things for that one is why nine felt a little bit kind of in between. They got to go down a little bit to ramp back I mean, up. We also yeah. got
2: to like okay, we'll talk about the craziness <laughs> in the spoiler section. But like, I have to wonder where where do they go from here in terms of like their crazy set pieces, right? Because oh, uh,
1: would you like my predictions? We'll, because again, we'll I correctly
0: predicted something. <laughs> we will get
1: to that once we <laughs> okay. reveal.
0: Please, um, yes, so, yes. Let's make quickly. sure to ask me what the just you predicts corner. <laughs>
2: So before we get to before we rip the bandaid off the spoilers, um, let's do a quick spoiler free chat about the real reason we why we came to see this film, which is the return of Sung Kang's Han. Um, did you guys think it was pulled off well? Like, did it live up to your expectations? Because we did, we not only got Han, we also got Han's charge. Um, played by um, anna sawai uh, in this film too so we got like double the asian representation triple if you also include um jason tobin's character coming back from tokyo drift we didn't even mention we had like cameras from tokyo drift as well and let me tell you <laughs> lucas black is not looking so he good is not aged
0: well this is what happens when you are a white man well cast full of not white people and everyone <laughs> else has aged more gracefully let's be real
1: well, I also feel like he hasn't kept up with the training, whereas everyone else did. So even if, let's say, Paul Walker were still alive, I have a feeling he would have been fine looking. But maybe Lucas Black hasn't been doing the same stuff. So, I mean, let's be real. A lot of these actors look great because they have trainers
2: and they can pay for it. It did feel good to hear his terrible, terrible Southern accent once again in the film.
1: <laughs> it made you nostalgic for that <laughs> Bama boy. Wait, is he
0: not like? Doesn't he have a real it Southern accent? He is from Alabama. Yeah,
1: he's
0: actually from the South because again, he was in the movie Flash and had a Southern accent as a teenager. Yeah,
1: I think he. Um, I think he definitely plays it up for the role. Uh, because I think I've heard him where he he still has a, a touch of it. But um, if you're an actor... I guess it's can, less out
2: of place in the states as opposed to when he was in.
1: In Tokyo, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but back to Han. Like, did it? Um, was it everything you wanted it to be, or, or no? Or and,
1: and I don't want to spoil anything. But I just have to say that he, I liked him plenty. I always like him. Um, I do like him better with the long hair, but that's just you know nostalgic Han stuff. Uh, and and I have to say, just he wasn't utilized enough. This is part of the we have too many characters thing. Um, and so my hope is we will see more uh, in ten and eleven.
2: Yeah. Agreed. I do wish that he was a bigger part of the film. I wish he was the MacGuffin, you know, as opposed to.
1: I mean, yeah. yeah. He, uh, there, there's
0: he, <laughs> this he's, film had many MacGuffins. <laughs> let's be real.
1: There were the, certain, the, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's almost hard for me to like remember the whole film because it's like, oh wait, yes, those characters were in it. Oh wait, there was a second MacGuffin. Oh yeah.
0: You need the MacGuffin to activate the other MacGuffin, yes. so it's like yes. a
1: McGuffin. It's like a Russian doll of MacGuffins. It's a turducken MacGuffin. It's uh, a turducken. <laughs> this is how you know the fantastic F, F-, 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 F- nine that that
2: that F- <Jarvis> is a true like super spy espionage film because MacGuffins, on MacGuffins, on MacGuffins, and red herrings. <laughs> <sighs> okay, we spent about fifteen minutes skirting around the outskirts of spoilers. Right. So at this point. This is your warning that we're going to go into plot points now of, of F9. So if you haven't watched the film, um, what are you doing? Go watch it. It's it's pretty fucking awesome. Um, and if you are a fan of the Fast and the Feeder series, you already know what you're getting. So you're just getting more of that. So um, And granted, if you don't care and you want to know what's coming up, you can also keep listening. You do you, but um, just just your fair warning that from this point onwards, we're going to be talking about what happens in the film. All right, everyone ready? Okay, first thing we have to go through is the Just You Vindication Hour because she called it (laughs) Fast and Furious went to space. I told you
0: we are going to space. I'm not going to lie. Did not expect to get it this soon. Um, Not felt very vindicated, but also like for going into space. Pretty fucking boring set piece going into I space mean, no like the they're launch, floating the launch and part is they, pretty
2: awesome when they like dropped out of that plane and then blasted I off i was
0: expecting a little more room, room in space which i don't know how that would work because gravity um doesn't exist but also i mean it does exist but you know different um also if <laughs>
2: the spaceship car was super janky would not janky. have
0: held up would not have <laughs> held up um, but yes, I feel very vindicated. Um, y'all laughed at me, but I was like, No, they're going into space. Of course they have to. That's the only way they can go. But uh, you were
2: thinking like Moonraker Pew Pew like Star Wars in space, not like a jalopy with rockets yeah, stuck onto it. Yeah, I thought being we'd still
0: get a space. little more like driving in space or some form of like space racing or you know, like a plane car space situation, but Hey, they you have know, to ground you know, those, a little like, bit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I was trying to think about the many ways we could have gotten into space that would have been cooler, like if they were stowed away on something that had better technology or maybe that they like took someone's place in something and then they were able to pilot, drive, slash it or something. Um, even if we saw like more some other like crossover in space would have been cool. <laughs> I don't know. Uh if they had if they drank some tang, if they did anything, you know, in space that was very <laughs> spacey, I think I would have enjoyed it. Um if they played with the zero g's more perhaps. There was mm-hmm. only one like joke there. Um yeah, I feel felt like the The fun of the space was basically when we got to find out they were going to go to space and you know like Jess was like having a heart attack and then um and then sort of the run-up of them going to space. but once they were in space, it was pretty boring.
2: I mean it was pretty it's it's a pretty good move by Justin Lynn to um have the chickoff's rocket car um put on the mantle like a third through the movie, only to be taken off the mantle at the climax to say, oh no. We're going to space in this car.
1: Yeah, that's where the Tokyo Drift people come in because they're like working with some rocket car randomly. <laughs> Who knows? Why Why would you have it? And of course it explodes. So if when we find out they're going to go to space, you're like, is it going to explode? <laughs> hmm. uh, physics says no. <laughs> um,
0: yes. The, was it Fast and Furious Physics says no. Fast and the Furious Physics also says that you can jump from moving to car to moving car in very slow, low, fast cars when you're like oh what? 300 something pound former wrestler and slide into like the little passenger window <laughs> of a, of a, I don't even know what car Han was driving, but when John Cena's like, you know, fish squiggling sw- into that little car, I just like could not, I burst out laughing. <laughs> I was like, of all oh, the things you in this burst ridiculous out laughing movie, throughout
2: this film, it was you and probably one film. of our friends, Laura, who was in the same screening as us, was laughing the entire time at every single set piece.
0: I mean, it's just so ridiculous. But I mean, this is like with all the like mm-hmm. love and like this is a great time. Like I love this ridiculousness and I always appreciate weird big swings over like this is so boring. I want to poke my eyes out. Um, so laughter is a good thing. You know, the unintentional comedy in this movie is fantastic. Um, Other no- moments I would nominate is when, you know, superhero strength man Dominic Toretto pulls the foundation of an old mission silo down <laughs> with his bare hands Um that was pretty I'm just like it's literally like an old mission silo I feel like they built those to be very secure but okay yes I will yes and this <laughs> Um as well as even the whole even I wouldn't even say like the whole backstory of Han coming back to life and you know him working with Mr. Nobody, that wasn't even that ridiculous. Like, <laughs> definitely the, the the car bridge swing at the end of the first chase <laughs> in the jungle, though that was fantastic.
1: Love that Fan type of shit.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yes. Yeah, I I think when we were sort of complaining about certain things not being as great visually and set pieces are, yes, we expect things like the parachuting cars. Um, yes. And so the bridge definitely fit within that. Very much enjoyed that ridiculousness. Um yes. That's why, you know, floating in space, kind of not that it's interesting. <laughs> um, even though the concept of this, them in space is better than the actuality.
2: All right. I want to talk about the central theme of this film or the central conflict of this film, which is between Dom and his brother. Because this film, the F9, is actually two films somehow melded into one because one half is an international spy espionage thriller um slash superhero movie and the other half is like a gritty family drama about poverty and and like things left unspoken between brothers and like the bonds of like family breaking apart um and i don't know about you but that whole shit is wild because like Imagine if you had that like brother backstory with like a more grounded Fast and Furious. Like, imagine if you had the story back in like the F five era, because totally, those are some big swings that this that this film tries to do between the two storylines, right? Because half this movie is about young Dom and young Jacob and how their father's death affects their relationship.
0: Yes, I mean, here is the thing: it's very weird because one, the as you mentioned the the. Core thread theme of these movies is family, and I do think post loss of Paul Walker, it's been very weird, and they don't know how to fill that hole, so they keep bringing like additional characters in. Because that Dom and um Jacob Brian center relationship was how they were showing the story of family, and they were brothers. And, you know, sometimes they fought and there was tension and then but they were family. And so now it's like, oh, shit, we don't have that anymore. We can't rely on that. Like, where are we going to get that dramatic tension? Like, we know Dom's not going to fight with his sister. Like, Dom and me are not going to, like, have a falling out, especially now that she, you know, has a kid had her own family? We already had the Dom and Letty fallout with the whole amnesia storyline. That's been like three movies, you know. And then it just feels weird for the rest. The rest of the crew members are obviously just you know side characters. They're supporting characters, so it seems weird to bump them up over one or the other, right? To to have that storyline, and I think that's why they keep bringing in new people. Uh, you know, they had some potential with elena but that she then that makes her a romantic competition with letty so they couldn't have that so they fridged her you know the kid is n- narratively just too young to be doing anything right now so that's why i think they had to start to bring up that like family tension drama again they invented this brother <laughs> like literal brother and then they're like oh shit how do we retroactive how do we retcon <laughs> the fact that Dominic Dorello has a bio, maybe biological, um, but like has a brother, essentially a brother he was raised with.
1: Yeah. I look for someone who has been fighting, uh, you know, wanting Han to come back and we finally got him back. I'm okay with a retcon in this franchise. Um, You can retcon other things if if you want. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Totally fine with that. Uh, I feel like the Jacob one is very small potatoes compared to everything else. Um. I, I, I just
0: know it just it does I mean, feel very is, like, weird, and I think because they were what I think, well, I think is it's weird because is, this movie was insecure about it they're like we have to devote a third of this movie to flashback sequences of young Dom and young Jacob yes. and cast actors that look nothing like yeah. Dom or Jacob and this is but what I mean is, like, I is,
2: feel like that that flashback film that prequel film that we got within this film had more heart to it than the actual like F9 stuff, which is just like spectacle, right? Because I yeah. actually was invested in like this, the story of two brothers torn apart by like things that they can't say to each other, right? And that, mean, that's, that's the main thing, right? This whole entire thing with his falling off his brother and his brother coming back as a super spy for some reason could have been avoided if they just talked to each other after their father's death, right? But that
1: is, that is the plot of every rom com um is that they can't somehow talk <laughs> yeah. right and discuss and but they're really in love with each other She's so right. yeah and so i get it i i think for me they spent too much time on the whole backstory i if you just told me what it was and made it simpler i will accept it because it is a Fast and furious movie um <laughs> like i'm not gonna think too hard about it i know i think it is <laughs> in the uh, in how they performed it and that for me didn't quite feel right you know like mm. i know I, I, I'm assuming that they're half-brothers. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, but yeah.
2: Charlie Stern and Cypher does say that um, the Toretto bloodline is very mixed. So somehow Jacob got the Nordic parts of the bloodline, which...
0: <laughs> yes, I mean, that is like kind of the part where they're like trying to metacram in all these things people are thinking, but somehow it raises more questions. I mean, I will say, I, the, I having part. the
2: background there was fine. What I wasn't fine with is that missing piece. Like, Give me that montage of how Jacob goes from this shithead street racer brother to like this international super spy like give me that montage of like where did he get his training did he go to war did he join the army like how did he become i a assumed super he
0: joined the army and then <laughs> went special ops that's that's the catch all right special ops like jace the shaw brothers also were special ops <laughs> um i mean that we'll probably learn more in 10 and 11 marvin like just
1: <laughs> hold your horses Yeah, that didn't bother me that much. (laughs) I mean, I do have to say training montages I do like. So we were cheated of that. But maybe we'll get a flashback. Um, We we can always get flashbacks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying F10 will be also a lot of flashbacks of Jacob in the army.
0: No, we'll just or, get the Dominic Toretto prequel, like we got the Star Wars, like Episode <laughs> One, Two, Three. We'll just get a whole like trilogy with just those two guys, like in the you know sepia toned, you know Instagram filter. <laughs> okay,
2: we'll we'll get Fast and the Furious: Colin, Dom, and Jacob.
1: I would watch that honestly. I mean, <laughs> even though I will watch any Fast and the Furious sort of, <laughs> you know. Spin off, yeah and i've been holding hobbs and shaw just to watch when i'm like when i can fully relax because even though i heard it wasn't that great it's still going to be good enough <laughs>
2: so it's going to be a little <laughs> dessert all right we need to talk about justice for han we need to talk about the details of han coming back and whether or not we felt justice was served um, okay because... to
0: review to <laughs> review so everyone's on the same page and we all just did the sequence of events that happened Mr. Nobody approaches Han in Tokyo, asks him to work for him because Giselle was also working with Mr. Nobody at one point even though she used to be a criminal working for Braga but okay Um, and then Han agrees so they stage his death and then he has to go steal the one half of Project Ares, which is the MacGuffin in this movie, but ends up um, not being the only one after it. The parents get blown up, boom, boom, and then there is a, he realizes there's a child, the the Japanese scientist's child, and so he takes the shot for her to rescue her, and that becomes her pseudo-dad.
2: Yeah, and then he becomes her protector, a la the Mandalorian, a la Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, I want to see that. I want to see Fast and Furious calling Han and L. I want to see I'm that. Just film. like,
0: how did he survive the shooting? That's more of a bigger question. All right. I so have. you can
2: buy all the other bullshit that the series throws at you and the fact that he survived or he had his the bombing death faked via hologram. Yeah. Because they said we faked your
0: death with a hologram. <laughs> I was just like, who's calling the ambulance? You're supposed to be dead. So who saved you? Did, did the little girl know a call, like, hey, Mr. Nobody, like, I need you to save my dad, my now dad. Here's the thing.
1: I kind of wanted his fake death to be more ridiculous. Uh, I felt a little cheated there. And maybe that was the justice. Like, I really wanted to feel something when I it was all revealed.
2: I mean, this is the purpose of a Kurt Russell Mr. Nobody character is he is the deus ex machina for any sort of bullshit you can pull up because he is the ex-government shadow organization that has access to ridiculous technology right
1: which is fine yes. um I don't brilliant
0: know. invention whoever wrote that in <laughs> um i'm just really glad they didn't force scott eastwood down our throats this movie <laughs> <laughs> thank you he was very boring oh. and no one likes him
1: yeah i i didn't see a point with him
2: <laughs> yeah but I like, agree we already with... have
0: like the goofy butt of the joke it's tyrese he does it better we already have a relationship with him like we don't need scott eastwood to do that yeah
2: I mean, I was glad to see Han and Sean's reunion. That was sweet, but I do agree with Han that like we need more Han.
0: Yeah, I always agree. Morning. We always need more Han. We always need more Han. Um, you know that little that little tidbit at the post credit scene right. where he like confronts Shaw is like some of the most like like charged like that's most charged like two seconds of the movie. And that was
2: what we wanted. We wanted justice for Han, and you can't have justice without justice against the person who wronged you. Right. Yeah,
0: maybe they'll take out this in ten and eleven. We but also this was,
2: I mean, yeah, I, I wanted to see Han confront Dom and say, "Hey, so um, the dude who you thought killed me, apparently you're having barbecues with him now. What gives, yeah. bro?" Uh,
1: also, when we're talking about justice for Han, that last scene we finally get him sort of like leaning on the door jam. And I was like, yes, that's sort of like that swagger I wanted to see throughout the whole <laughs> movie because I felt like that was the sexiest scene uh, for him throughout the whole thing. Because right. it's and not st-
2: justice unless the other person repents, right, <laughs> and apologizes. It's just
1: he had attitude there. And, it, and you know, as much as I loved everyone hugging him at that first scene, I was kind of like, that was kind of, like didn't feel quite right. So
2: we all agree, right? Justice for Han, not fulfilled. We need to keep, has hashtag it's ongoing. alive because he has not achieved justice yet.
1: Justice, is, not an o- achieved. Yeah. Yeah. justice is an ongoing um, effort here. <laughs> we can't just like rest on our laurels just because he's alive.
2: Alright, really quickly, because um, Jess wanted us to say this. What do you think is the most ridiculous point? Uh, the most ridiculous thing? that? What is the most ridiculous nonsense mm. that happened during this film? Mm.
1: Nonsensical nonsense.
0: I mean, yes. Uh, again nominating Dominic Toretto pulling down the <laughs> mission si- foundation of a mission silo with his bare hands underwater it
1: it was like it, it was like Samson and Delilah Christ like there was so much symbolism there with his two arms you know outstretched and pulling down a building <laughs> on top of himself
0: Yes, um, I would also even, you know, this is a little bit more low key, but I think fairly ridiculous. Just the whole like John Cena ziplining through You're London, so good. So having good. like it all set up with his like little zipline stop point so he can zipline to the next building
1: Um,
2: or Dominic Toretto intercepting him mid zipline, knocking him into another just- building. <laughs>
1: It's just, I really could watch the whole movie with him just ziplining in the
2: background. (laughs) Yeah, he looks so unbothered, like just so unbothered. Um, Love it. I wouldn't say space. That is the most ridiculous nonsense because even though Jess predicted it, I did not believe it was going to happen. So when it (laughs) did happen, we were all like, we all like turned and looked at Jess. With I mean her, that's like-
0: on you, Marvin. I told you I'm like the prophet Cassandra, <laughs> who spoke the future, who spoke the truth, and um, nobody, nobody believed me. Nobody listened to me.
1: To our detriment. Yeah. And mine, okay, is uh, magnets. Uh, right. Who knew? <laughs> with all that of the, <laughs> with can- all of the technology, them going into space, uh, jumping off cliffs with cars, and all this other nonsense. That the, the one one of the biggest plots in this film is strong magnets. yes, uh, Electromagnets yes. in particular. And so my favorite scene, there are many good magnet scenes, but my favorite scene is when Ramsey, who we learn has never driven a car, um, has to drive a truck and she somehow is running p- uh, parallel with um, Jacob's car and then sees him on the other side of the road, turns on the magnet so he can get pulled in. Through another building into her car right, and, and right. So crashed. not on the
2: other side of the road but on the right. other side of a block
1: yes like you, it's, through it's a, a building yeah you can see them like th- what like every time he passes through then you can like see like flashes of his car and so she they're like pacing each other and then so because she's a brilliant driver at this point um <laughs> she she knows how to just time it just right to turn on the electromagnet and it pulls her car <laughs> right into their truck Um, That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was badass.
2: (laughs) Like I said, we got a a lot of mileage out of those magnets. Like so much mileage.
1: I mean,
0: the whole, I mean, there were like at least three major scenes because the last big car chase was also like they were using the magnets to like (laughs) throw shit around. And I'm just like, yeah, I cannot believe the set pieces contingent on magnets
1: (laughs) yeah there was like this timing thing where it's like here we'll pull you in with a magnet but then on the arc of our turn we're gonna release you from the magnet and it's just like whoa you guys are like experts at magnets now (laughs) very good very good handle on the magnets
0: um and you know we even had that in like there were like like person fist fights not stealing cars there was like a magnet moment there so they really got a lot of yeah they got a lot of play off the magnets
1: (laughs) yeah that made me happy
2: i also love the mirroring of the end of the first movie where at the end of this movie dom hands his keys over to his brother to let him drive away in his 60 second car
0: (laughs) That was sweet. And, you know, I think I turned to Han at this point and I was like, wow,
1: redemption within one movie. eh?" <laughs> yes.
0: Like he committed so many war crimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Usually you're the enemy for a movie. And then the, and then usually by the second movie, like Shaw, you know, then you can come back and be a friend somehow. But uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, he's family, I guess. So fine. He's
2: literally family.
1: Literally family somehow.
2: All right. Okay. Last question for y'all is F9 good pop?
1: Yes,
0: yes. Look, say what you will about F9 or the Fest and Franchise series, you could think it's dumb. Um, I don't think it's hurting anybody. And here's the thing the success of the Fest and the Furious franchise has done more for diversity and inclusion and casting and behind the scenes than almost probably all the freaking initiatives we've been fucking trying to do combined. Okay. Because it makes a shit ton of money around the world. And it proves that you can have a cast of non white people leading a very lucrative film franchise. And so your whole point about like only white people sell films is moot point. Like you cannot forget that. And we are in nine movies out of an 11 series plan. There's been a <laughs> spinoff. I want an all female version. I want the kids version. I want the TV show spinoff. I want everything. Please, please.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely good pop. It's just good fun. And like Jess said, it's not really hurting anybody. You know what you're getting into. And just the fact that like, I love that this has become like Justin Lin's calling card, which is just ridiculous action. And this gives him... The opportunity to just do whatever the fuck he wants without like any prior, like like with Star Trek, he's like constrained by like the mythology and like the, the expectations. But with the Fast and the Furious, the expectations for a Fast and the Furious movie is what shit will this film do crazier than the last movie?
0: Yes. It also I really like this narrative that a lot of the fast movies have done on the behind the scenes or production side, where they're like in this era of CGI. We spent three months and a million dollars to shoot this 15 seconds of film like that scene with the car going through the shop with when Ramsey turns on the magnet. That was real. They literally like through a car through a a fake shop window, (laughs) but a shop window nonetheless. And, um, you know, obviously there's still a lot of CGI in this movie. But the fact that, you know, at least one of these ridiculous set pieces or like action sequences is done in reality like the fact that they're still doing some practical effects like actually dropping cars out of an airplane (laughs) or you know putting a vault over a car and driving it through some streets like i love that i have seen enough marvel movies at this point where i'm just like i'm so tired of cgi you know nothing's fake we're all just in the matrix so the fact that justin lynn chooses to throw a car through a window just really grounds me.
1: Yeah, no, I have to agree. I love a practical effect. This is also why I like things like puppets. <laughs> you know, not just hey, maybe Yeah, that, I love a puppet. I mean, maybe that's where we're going next. Maybe there will be puppets in F ten. Um we didn't do your projection yet. But uh yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I love I love practical effects because it gives you that extra sort of like um tactile um dynamic feeling that it feels more real uh, because they kind of did it. And, um, and and it makes me feel like, because you can also tell that they do it. Like you can tell what's CGI and what's not sometimes. And, um, and, and so, yeah, your, your senses appreciate it more. So yeah, I I love it. I love for all those reasons.
2: Yeah. All right. Like Han said, we need to know (laughs) Cassandra F9 Cassandra fast and furious Cassandra. What can we expect for Fast and Furious Ten and Eleven?
0: Okay, they're obviously setting Cipher up, aka Charlize Theron's character, to be the big bad for the remaining of the question. They're raising the stakes. She killed Elena, who is the mother of Dom's child, and you know Charlize there, and you've paid her the money. You're gonna use her. Looks fantastic, you know, in those. She was wearing like some kind of like red pants or some leather pants or something. <laughs> like, like great. So Cipher is now escaped. She is going to go on the black market and she's going to buy a bunch of weaponized Velociraptors. These Velociraptors are going to be sent to descend upon our fast crew. And Dominic will have to uh, outrun some of these... You know, I assume they've also been genetically modified at this point, these super fast velociraptor packs. So now we have this weird duality between like a human family and a raptor family, right? But it's Dominic Toretto. He's ultimately, you know, you look at Don Toretto, man, human, animal, dog, you're going to fall in love with him and be on his side. So Dominic Toretto is going to pull that energy and be like, no, I'm the alpha. And then he's going to eventually have the velociraptors on his side and like send it back on them. Okay. And then that's like number 10. Number 11, we got to ramp it up even more. We have to find a way to get Godzilla and King Kong into this. All right. Um, I'm not quite there yet in like the story breaking, but I do think he's going to drive up the spine of Godzilla and launch off Godzilla's head to, you know, accomplish the mission. Accomplish the mission. So
2: you're saying that the fast universe is going to combine with not only the Jurassic Park universe, but also like the universal um, Monster. monsters universe
0: yes sorry to cross ips but like thanos
1: it is inevitable yeah <laughs> I, I agree i think the the extra crease <laughs> <You'll> <laughs> <laughs> yes because like when you get the velociraptors into 10 i think the extra set piece that we're missing here is because you know that the velociraptors are smart and they can open doors they are also now able to drive cars um And so there's
0: no way those arms are way too small for
2: to drive a car.
0: No, they're going to be like one on each side or something. okay? or they're going to like they're going to do something where they're going to like tap into the brain of a velociraptor and there they're going to like steer the car with like their brain like tech stuff.
2: (laughs) All right. It'll be good. I am shooting on this right now. But if when when if and when this comes to pass, I will I will admit that you are the master. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) And my prediction is bow down to me. My prediction is puppets. <laughs> I have no right. reason for saying that. <laughs> I just like puppets. All
2: right, you want you want a Muppets crossover then.
1: I want a Jim Henson um, co-production here. All right, Dark I Crystal. mean, the crazier things have happened, you know.
2: That's true. I can't say much because they they did literally go to space in that night. So yeah, uh, nothing nothing is off the table apparently in this franchise. So yeah,
1: we thought the sky was the limit, and it's not even the sky wasn't the limit. <laughs> It's not. They <laughs> broke through the sky, the all atmosphere.
2: Right. Let us know what you all thought about F9 by engaging with us on Twitter. Um, you can find us at Good Pop Club. Uh Jess Han. If people want to talk to you all on Twitter, where can they go?
0: I am on Twitter at Just Jude Tweets. And I am at Hanonymous.
2: And you can find me at Marvin. Yeah. Um before we go. The Good Pop Culture Club is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Uh, check out our fellow Asian-hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that'll do it for our discussion of F9, the ninth installment of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Technically, I guess it's the 10th, right? Because Hobson Shaw was also, is also included in that.
1: It's on the side. It's <laughs> they it's have no the side. They didn't have any... Fs in their title, so it doesn't count.
2: That's true. <laughs> and man, what a ride it has been. Um, I can't wait. I guess mean, F10 is coming out. What in two years, probably three years. Um, any predictions on what the title will be?
0: Fast ten, your seatbelts. If it's not that, I'm a stage a coup. I have some <laughs> words for Justin Lin. Oh, maybe FX. Oh, oh, that's good. That's that, also good. Isn't that like Final Fantasy? Like no, that's FFX. Cr- I feel like totally FX different. has a lot of different FX is also a Korean pop band that is like no longer together but mm. Mm.
2: Mm. Mm. FF extreme anyway. fast furious extreme all right thanks for joining us for another edition of the good pop culture club uh we'll see you all next week bye everyone
0: bye bye, bye.